baby. Else you in for a long day. A long day. Some people thought I was crazy when I brought Barry on board, but I'm a firm proponent of paradigm breaking, outside the box thinking. And since Barry's been on our team, giving has gone up 46%. So who do I need to make this out to? Just make it out to Watermark. Okay, great. Enforcer, man. Don't nothing get by me in the Lord's house. It's a hundred percent hard, baby. Sure, I check a few fools, but it's about intimidation. It's mind games. What has really impressed me is how Barry has become such a part of the Watermark family. He fits right in here. Christian dogmatics as the locus of God's indirect self-disclosure. And we all know what that means. That's not to say Barry's gone soft. He still does what he does best. I just do my job, man. I just do what my God-given abilities allow me to do. And I thank Jesus Christ for it every single day. And do I enjoy what I do? <laughs> Oh yeah! This ain't your money, Richard! This is Lord's money! You can't come up to Watermore, kick my dog, and then keep your money for yourself? Fool! You must be crazy! Okay, that's just for a little bit of, of fun as uh, we're in the middle of our Be Rich campaign. We started that last week, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But uh, if you're joining us for the first time on, on social media, welcome to you. Hopefully, you saw that video as well. And thank you for all of you who are in the house this morning. It's good to have you with us. Right now, by the way, for those of us who are here, I'm told that our first person who watches on every week is in England. And so uh, welcome to our people across the pond uh, watching this service from over there. I'd ask you to come and join us sometime, but that's a little bit of a distance, but uh, maybe someday you, you will. We'll see. Now, again, we're in the Be Rich campaign. This is the time of the year that we actually talk about giving. Now, be honest. Don't you feel like when churches talk about giving, it's a little bit like this video that we just saw? You know, I mean, people think, you know, that's a little bit over the top. And uh, to tell you the truth, whenever I show that video, I always have a couple of guys approach me after service and say, Pastor, if that job's available, I'll take it. Um, and uh, they seem to be given. But here's what we know. Giving never seems to be easy. 
Um, it's not easy for people to hear about. And to tell you the truth, it's not easy for preachers to, to preach about. And the reason that it's not easy for us to hear and the reason that it's not easy for people, preachers to preach about is because, quite frankly, there are those who use the leadership role to fleece the flock rather than feeding the flock. I mean, that's just a reality of our day. And, and it also started early in church history. I don't know if you've ever realized that. But it really started early in the movement of the church. In 63 AD, Paul had to uh, write to warn the church about some false teachers who quickly crept, crept into the church and began teaching that if you were faithful to God, God was going to make you rich. And that message is still with us today, isn't it? And Paul doesn't hold back on people about this. Paul writes this. He writes these words. These arguers, their minds are warped by sin. They don't know how to tell the truth. To them, the good news is just a means of making money. And then he adds this important phrase. Keep away from them. You see, the temptation that we have today that I see as a pastor all the time, and I know KP sees it as well, the temptation that we have today are there are some guys that are on TV who are really charismatic. They, they're really dynamic preachers. And people think that because they're dynamic people, preachers, it doesn't do any harm to listen to these people. So they'll tune in and they say, you know, pastor, I just, I, I take the good stuff. And then I leave the bad stuff alone. I, I take the little truth nuggets that they drop during that message. And, and then, you know, I try to discern all of the bad stuff that they're adding into that. The problem is, is that when we do that consistently, the lines blur. Do you know how bank tellers are told to tell the real from the counterfeit? The way bank tellers, I'm told, are told, taught to tell the real money from the counterfeit money is they're not allowed to handle counterfeit money. And because they can't handle counterfeit money, when the counterfeit money comes by, they recognize it immediately because they have dealt themselves, they've felt the real thing. And uh, I don't know if they're still doing it that way, but that's how they, they used to do it. So Paul basically says to us, people wake up, keep away from the counterfeit. Don't flirt with them, flee from them. Keep away from them. But if you know people who declare, uh, they preach financial prosperity, and, and, and the scripture says, what Paul says about them, is they have people who have constant friction. Now, this is another translation of that same verse. Constant friction of men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth. Depraved mind, deprived of the truth. Why in the world would you want to listen to somebody like that? And the key is, send me your money. Send me your seed money. You send me a gift and God's going to multiply it ten times over. Paul says, stay away from them. I don't care how dynamic the speaker is. 
and how much you know he's he's fun to watch if what he is saying is not biblical paul says just stay away from them stay away from them so be careful i mean satan called the scripture didn't he he knows it better than you and I, and he can twist it. And the problem is, is, is when we start listening and stuff like that, he, Satan gets it in, and he twists it, and pretty soon we can't tell truth from error, the genuine from the counterfeit. So stay away from preachers who preach prosperity gospel, or you're going to be dragged away into their error. You are. Well, that's just a side, but it's, it's a necessary aside the reason and I put this up here because it's so confusing you can take a picture of it as a good reminder the reason faithful men have difficulty speaking to people of faith about finances is because unfaithful men have muddied the waters by making false promises to people of faith in this financial area of life and people of faith have now become jaded by these false teachers. And therefore, they can't recognize the true principles in giving. And whenever a minister tries to talk about it, they get upset. Because, you know, they don't know anymore what, what's real and what's not, what's true and what's not. So be careful. Be careful. Another important area in this area of giving is this. You know, we often have the best intentions in this area, don't we? I mean, we often really plan to, to really, you know, I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to give. And then life gets in the way, doesn't it? Has a way of, of doing that. Our intentions remain good, but our actions don't match our intentions, our matchings don't match what we said we wanted to do. And then we start feeling guilty. We start feeling conf conflicted about that. We're going to talk about that a little bit today as well. And just understand this. You are not unique in that. It's not something new. The Corinthian church in the first century experienced this, and they struggled with it as well. As a matter of fact, the scriptures that we're going to look at today is in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. And we're in chapter 8 this morning. If you want to follow along in your Bible, you can follow along with me. Or you can look it up on your iPad or, or iPhone. Um, or you can look up here because we're going to put it up here for you. I'm going to be reading this morning from the New Living Translation. In this verse, you know, it makes it difficult sometimes for people because I, I jump translations. Um, but that's good because... Just understand, there are many good translations out there. People ask me all the time, Pastor, what's the best Bible to read? And I will tell you, the best Bible to read is the one that you can understand and apply. So just, you know, use it that way. When Scripture was written, it was written in the New Testament. It was written in a language called Koine Greek. That means the common language of the day. Koine, common Greek. I think the Bible was written in a language we could understand then. It should be read in a language we understand today. So just uh, that uh, thing. And, and in our Be Rich campaign, I want to remind you that everything you, that you give towards Be Rich, every penny, 
Every penny, we don't keep a penny of it. Every penny that you give towards the Be Rich campaign goes to the group that we're sponsoring that year, that, this year. Now, in the past, here's what your generosity has done. In 2014, we helped, 2014, we helped start the Newton County Pregnancy Center with our Be Rich campaign. Y'all did a wonderful job in that. In 2015, we supported the repairs of the breach, which we have volunteers going to pretty much once a month now, uh, and continue to support them very practically, as well as uh, we'd help them financially. In 2015, in 2016, we helped get Jimmy Gargar's ministry. Um, Greater Grace Church is in Liberia, in uh, West Africa. Jimmy's over there now, as a matter of fact. In 2017, we helped children, orphans in Ethiopia through Brighten Their World translation. And then last year, we helped restart the family promise of Rockdale and Newton County. So, you know, your giving to the Breivich campaign has helped locally. It has helped globally. This year in 2019, as we said last week, as we introduced it last week, your giving will go to the Following the Flock ministry, Charlie and Jordan, working with people over in Lebanon. And so your gift of $39.95, one-time gift, that's all we ask for, one-time gift of $39.95 can impact a life for eternity in Lebanon. So consider that. Now, here's what Paul had to say. Now, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness, has done through the churches in Macedonia. So Paul is writing to these early believers in the city of Corinth, but he's writing for us today as well. And notice what, God, what he says. He says, God accomplished this through you. God is able to do this through you through the churches, in this particular case, through the churches in Macedonia. Now, Macedonia, just so that you know where it is, involved the churches of Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea, some of the first churches that Paul went to when he was called over in to Europe. And here's what Paul says about these churches. Very interesting. He said, they were being tested. They were being tested by many Troubles. They were experiencing extreme trials. As a matter of fact, that word tested in the Greek is a, a, it gives us a picture of stomping of grapes. I mean, they were having the life stomped out of them, basically, is what Paul said. They were being crushed. They were being tested by many troubles. And they were very poor because in this area, when you became a believer, chances are you're going to lose your job. You were going to become unemployable. So they were destitute. They had nothing. And if anybody ever has an excuse not to give, it would have been this people. Didn't stop them. But undergoing trials, very poor, <laughs> they're filled with abundant joy, which overflowed in rich generosity. So, Perel Lutz translation of this verse, their funds didn't keep them from having fun. Their funds didn't keep them from having fun. They were 
cheerful givers. Even in the situation they were in. Now, I love these next couple of verses. Paul says this, he says, For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. No one forced them. No one coerced them. Paul didn't have to beg. As a matter of fact, we see just the opposite in this particular case. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. So this is kind of like the very first Be Rich campaign in church history, if you think about it. And they begged, you know why they begged Paul to give? This is an interesting thing. The reason they begged Paul to give, historical little footnote that you probably miss, the reason they begged Paul to give is because Paul was begging them not to give. He says, you guys can't afford it. No. I've got other churches that promise to help. You, you guys, you know, you need to take care of your own situation because he knew their desolate situation and, and he knew that he had other churches that had already agreed to, to help. And, and Corinth was one of them, by the way. <clears throat> so he says, you know, I can't take, I, I don't want your money. So they begged him. They begged him. Um, even though he was asking them not to give because he didn't want them to feel obligated in any way. Stuart Briscoe, former pastor of Elmbrook Church in Brookfield, Wisconsin, an internationally known speaker, tells of how he was speaking on these very verses in a minister's conference of all places. And he came to this and he talked about, you know, having to beg them not to give. And he said that there was laughter that erupted in the auditorium. And he said it was, it was you know, so distracting that he had to stop speaking. And he stopped and he said, well, what happened? What's so funny? And one of the ministers finally spoke up and they said to him that uh, they were laughing because of the ludicrous idea, the ludicrous idea that a minister would ever have to ask people to stop giving. He said, we have to beg people to give. Now, the mistake that these pastors made, and this is so important, in so many areas of life, not only in this area of giving. So I want you to get this lesson. The mistake that these pastors were making is a mistake that all of us make at one time. Instead of looking at Scripture and evaluating their experiences, they were looking at their experiences and evaluating Scripture. They had it backwards. And I have to tell you, I, I just have to, to tell you as a pastor, if what you are experiencing is not lining up with Scripture, the problem is not the Scripture. The problem is not the Scripture. You know, we're currently in a world that by and large the authority of Scripture, the authority of the Bible across the board has been um, questioned primarily because we're examining this book in light of our experiences rather than examining our experiences in light of this book. That's the problem. And that's a dangerous place to be for a couple of reasons. First of all, because your experience is not always going to be 
what you think it should be. God uses sometimes difficult things in our lives to get us exactly where he wants us to be. I was listening to Ravi Zacharias this morning, and I thought it was really funny um, because he said, you know, uh, Moses, you know, spent time in the, uh, the palace, but then God put him in the desert to prepare him for what he wanted, and then God had Joseph in the desert to prepare him for what he had to service in the palace. So, it's, you know, it's often not what we think it should be. But this is a dangerous place to be for us because here's what happens. We begin to think that we get to set the rules. And we begin to think that, you know, we're the gods who get to determine our own rules, what's right for us and what's good for us and what should be done for us because this is modern 21st century. So, you know, some of those things shouldn't apply anymore. And we need to know this. We are not gods who get to set our own rules, and we are not gods who get to judge God's rule. Prophet Jeremiah said this, Is not my word like a fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock to pieces. Eventually the time is going to come when we have to answer for our situation. I have to think. You know, I, I found myself the other day watching the news and, Seeing these fires sweeping through California, and I'm thinking, you know, could this be God trying to get their attention? My word is like a fire, declares the Lord. My, uh, like a hammer that breaks the rock to pieces, and we may be closer to this than, than we like to think. The Apostle Paul, in the letter to Galatians, says this, Do not be Deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And despite these pastors' skepticism over these verses in Corinthians, and despite the seemingly impossibility of such lavish generosity among such impoverished people, People who were far, far from rich. People who could honestly say, I'm not rich, so I don't have to participate in this Be Rich campaign. I don't have, have to do it. Paul tells us what they did. Here's what he says. They even did more than we had hoped for. Their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and then to us just as God wanted them to do. Now, don't miss this. Okay. If you have a vertical relationship with God, if you have a vertical relationship with God, it will result in a horizontal relationship with people. If you don't have a horizontal relationship with people, that is, if your Christianity is all spiritual, but never practical, all talk, but no walk, chances are you don't even have a vertical relationship with God. Now, I get it if that upsets you a little bit, but, you know, I, I like a song, a, a modern song by Lauren Daigle. Lauren Daigle is becoming very quickly one of my uh, favorite modern singers because if you ever listen to any of her songs, she's always spot on theologically. 
um, with all of our songs. And some of the words of, of this song that I, I like go like this. It says, I've been an actor on the stage playing a role I have to play. I'm getting tired, it's safe to say, living behind a masquerade. No more performing out of fear. I'm trying to keep my conscience clear. It all seems so insincere. I'll trade it all, trade it all to meet you here. I'm losing my religion. I'm losing my religion. Light a match and watch it burn. But to your heart, I will return. No one could love me like you do. No, 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 no. So why would I want a substitute? I'm losing my religion. I'm losing my religion. I'm losing my religion to find you. I mean, think about this for a minute. Religion has a way of blurring us from what God wants for us. You doubt that? Look at the Jewish people and the coming of their Messiah. They had looked for him for centuries. And yet when he came and walked among them and spoke and taught and did miracles, their religion blinded them to the truth. I'm losing my religion to find you. I'm losing my religion and finding something new because I need something different and different looks like you. I'm losing my religion and finding something new because I need something different and different looks like you. And remember I said that she's always spot on theologically? Just James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote this. What good is it, dear brothers, to say and sisters to say if you have faith, if you don't show it by your actions? Can that faith save anyone? And those who may take issue with my statement earlier that you can't have a vertical relationship with God if you don't have a horizontal relationship with men... Stop and consider what the Apostle John wrote and then decide what you believe on this. Well, do you agree with me or not? Decide that. You know, you might say, no, I'm, I still don't agree with you, Pastor. Uh, so, but look at what John, uh, uh, what John writes, the Apostle John, when he writes this. He says, whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother is a liar. They may not realize they're a liar, but they're self-deceived. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, that's that horizontal relationship, whom they have seen. Now this is not me, this is the Apostle John writing. Whoever doesn't love their brother and sister, who they see, cannot love God. Vertical. You can't have one without the other, whom they have not seen. And I think it's pretty clear. I didn't make it up. If your religion does not impact your human relationship, all of your good talk, according to the Apostle John, is nothing but a lie. That's why Jesus once said to a group of followers, you know, 
they're going to come to me that day and they're going to say, Lord, we did wonderful things in your name. We did these miracles and we cast out demons and we, did, we preached the word. And he's going to say, I never knew you. I never knew you. The Macedonian churches demonstrated their love for God by showing their love in a tangible way to others. And James, again, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote these words. He said, if you have a friend who is in need of food and clothing, and you say to him, well, goodbye, and God bless you, stay warm and eat hearty, and then don't give him clothes or food, what good does that do? Now, let me help you. What good does that do? None. None. And Paul, using the example of the Macedonian believers who had nothing, challenges these Corinthian believers who were in the habit of boasting about all of the great things God had blessed them with. You ever, you ever meet somebody like that? So I've urged Titus who encourage your giving in the first place, to return to you and to encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. In other words, follow up on what you promised to do. You started this, now complete it. Now, Titus was a non-Jewish convert to Christianity, probably led to Christ by the Apostle Paul himself, most people seem to think that. Um, but he was one of Paul's right-hand men. And if you know anything about the Corinthian believers, this was a group of people who loved to brag on themselves. I mean, they, you know, they had it. If you, it was, if, if you had it, they had it bigger. They had it bigger. You know people like that? You know, I, no matter what you do, it, they, they've done it bigger. But you've had a, a surgery. Oh, that was nothing compared to their surgery. And they're always telling, you know, I got a new car. I go, well, you see my car that I just got. They always have to one-up people. And the Corinthian believers were like that. So Paul capitalizes on it. Paul capitalizes on it. So here's what he says. He says, since you excel, and I think he's being sarcastic here. Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, and you're a gifted speaker because, remember, they were divided because of, you know, I follow Paul and I follow Paulus and I follow Peter and I just follow Jesus because I'm that spiritual. Gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us. You know, you think that we love you better than everybody else. I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. Paul's saying, you know, since you do so much better than everybody else and everything else, why don't you just do better in this area? Why don't you excel in this area? I am not commanding you to do this, but I'm testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of other Churches, in other words, Paul's saying, modern translation, put your money where your mouth is. Or if that's too crude and you want to be more spiritual, he's saying, um, let's see if your walk matches your talk. The key here is this. Paul says, in effect, 
the true tests of your faith and how spiritual you, you are is in what you do, not how spiritual you sound. And the motivation is simple. I mean, here's our motivation for giving everything. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that it, by his poverty he could make you rich. So let me beat my drum on this one more time. Those of us who claim to have experienced the love of Jesus should be loving other people the same way Jesus loved us. Same way. Same way. I'm just so glad he accepted me just as I am, but I'm not accepting you as you are. You've got to clean up first. You've got to change. No, 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 no. We love as he loved. We follow his example. And by the way, this letter to the Corinthians, none of this came out of the blue. Paul didn't spring it on them suddenly. Here's what he says. Here's my advice. It would be good to you to finish what you started a year ago. They were in this Be Rich campaign for a year. They lost sight of their goal. Long time. You know, we only do it for a month, but we lose sight of our goal in a month sometimes. Last year, you were you first who wanted to give. And you were the first to begin doing it. Now, notice that word, to begin doing it. You started it, but you never completed it. You never finished it. They'd lost sight of their goal. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness that you showed in the beginning, because it's so easy to get excited when, when you know, something's pulled at our heartstrings, isn't it? Let the eagerness that you showed at the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. So we're back at this intention thing. It's one thing to have good intentions. It is more important to follow up on those intentions. But again, as we said right at the beginning, the reason we don't do it is because life gets in the way. So that's one of the reasons why we do a Be Rich campaign every year here at Gateway. Because we want to teach you God's principles of giving, and it's not what you think. 10% is not a New Testament standard. That is an Old Testament law. So just be aware of that. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But the principles that God gives us are this, and this is what we want to teach you in our Be Rich campaign. Here's God's principles of giving. Give, save, live. And Paul set the example for this earlier when he wrote to this same group of people and he said this. He said, now regarding the question about money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, because that's what this gift was for. It was their Be Rich campaign to help another city. 
You should follow the same procedure that I gave to the churches in Galatia. So he's given this church this procedure whenever he goes. Here's what he says. On the first day of the week, you should put aside a portion of the money that you've earned. Don't wait till I get there. And then try to collect it all at once. In other words, take it off the top. The first day of the week. Take it right off the top before you do anything else. And apparently these Corinthian believers weren't doing that. They promised to give, but they didn't plan to give. And see, there's the difference. They promised to give, but they didn't plan to give. And I, I, I promise you this. If you promise to give, but you don't have a plan, life is going to interfere with your promises. It is. And you won't be able to fulfill what you promised. And again, I don't believe that there's a, a, a set amount for New Testament giving. I do believe that we should decide for ourselves, alone with God, on a percentage that we want to give. And the reason I think that we need to decide that is because if we don't do that, we'll never give. If we don't plan to give, we'll never follow up on the promise to give. Decide what percentage you're going to give on the front end and make sure that you take it out, set it aside as off-limits, off-limits for anything else. That way life won't get to it. Then decide what percentage you want to save and then live on the rest. Okay, so God's plan is give, save, live. Set it aside. It's not in the evaluation. Set it aside. It's not in the evaluation. Now what you have left, now you can live on it, and it, your life is not going to interfere with the other. That's God's plan. Man's practice is this. Live, save, give. That's why we have so little in our bank account to fall back on. And that's why we can never find time to give what we want to give. If you live your life this way, here's what will happen. You will tip when you come to church. That offering basket passes, you put a dollar in, maybe ten. You'll tip, but you won't give. And you might have the best intentions. You might have wonderful promises. But if you don't have a plan, you will not be able to follow up on what you promised yourself you were going to do. Because there will always be an excuse why you can't. Always. And here's what I know. Most of us in that situation, and I know this because I did it. Most of us in that situation, you know, we say something like this. Well, you know, I can't give now. But when I get an increase in salary, I'll give. Or when I, this happens or that happens, I'll give. And you know what happens? That increase comes and that thing happens and we still don't give. Because life gets in the way. We've not have a plan. No matter what you promise, no matter what you think you're going to do when you are better off, you will never do it because you follow the pattern of living before giving. 
And if you follow the pattern of living before giving, life will never let you give. It won't. So why not change that? Why not? During the rest of this month, and, and now you only have like three weeks, right? Two more weeks in this month. Try this for two weeks. I mean, what do you have to lose? Try this for two weeks. Try to do it God's way. Give, save, live. And you might be surprised at the difference that it makes in your life. You know, the Macedonian Christians faced a lot of problems. Again, to be a Christian means they lost their jobs. They didn't have much. You don't have a job. You're poor. And they were. But they still gave because they knew the joy of giving. And their abundant joy overflowed into unbelievable generation. It probably wasn't a huge amount. But for them it was. Rich generosity. Now come on. All of us have had the experience, I think. All of us have had the experience of helping somebody in need. Right? And when you do that, how does it make you feel? Pretty good. Right? Some of us have had the experience of being on the receiving end of that. And, you know, depending on your personality, um, it, it makes you either feel really pretty good that somebody reached out and helped me, or it depends, like, you know, you think, you know, I don't want that. You know, I was that way. For a long time, people would want to help me out with different things, and I would kind of, no, 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 I don't, no, 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 no. Give it to somebody, I don't, no, no. Finally, one guy said to me, he said, John, he says, how do you feel when you help somebody? I said, well, I feel really good. He said, then why are you denying me my joy of helping you? Learn my lesson on that one. We know what it is to help or be helped. So wouldn't it be great if you had a plan to give on a regular basis? And here's what I know. I, I know this personally from experience. You might not get rich but you will get blessed. There'll be an abundant joy that comes. And what you give temporarily on this side of eternity may make a big difference in eternity. And I'm absolutely convinced that there are times there's going to be a whole bunch of people coming up that last minute who we never met. They're going to say, you know what? You remember when? You remember when? You remember when and we're going to be surprised what God has done with what we could do when we entrusted it to him let me pray for us Father thank you for your goodness thank you for your grace and for your mercy thank you for giving your best for us 
Lord, help us to consider. Just consider. Maybe for the next two weeks. How we ought to plan. What we want to give. Not by coercion, not by command. But to do as you did with Malachi and said, test me in this. And don't see if I don't open the storehouse of blessing for you. May not be what we think. But Lord, we know that it will result in abundant joy. So thank you, thank you, thank you for giving to us. And help us as we give back to you. Both in our lives and in our means. In Jesus' name, amen.